Colossians chapter 4. Hopefully, prayerfully, we're going to finish this Colossians study this morning. Colossians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Masters, given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now, in today's vernacular, in today's setting, we look at this scripture and substitute the world masters to employers, servants to employees, and I think that is an appropriate way uh, of looking at it. The Bible does not condone slavery in any, any fashion. As a matter of fact, the reason uh, that uh, slavery uh, came to an end in Western civilization is because of the church uh, rising up against it. Uh, this in no way is endorsing uh, slavery. And I think the way we apply this today is a message to employers and a message to employees in the verses we looked at uh, last week. But uh, employers, you are to provide that which is just and equal to those who work for you. Uh, you are to provide that which is fair and equitable payment for services rendered. Can anything be clearer? Uh, employers, give unto your employees that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Employers, you're going to be held accountable by your master in heaven. You're going to be held accountable. Bosses, treat your workers right. And if you have someone, uh, remember you also have someone in which you're going to be answerable to. Uh, as we looked at last week, uh, the message to employees here is that uh, uh, you, you don't work to just to, to please your boss when he's, when he's watching. Uh, you do your work as unto the Lord. Recognizing the work you do as unto the Lord, that's, that's your ministry. And that's what that's, what that's saying here. Uh, employees, you serve as unto the Lord, not just when the boss is watching, not boss pleasers, but it's your ministry. I don't care what you're doing, whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, it's, you're not working for the man, you're working for your God. And that's how you're supposed to approach anything and everything that you do. You are to consider your job as a ministry understanding that you have a testimony, you have a witness that is absolutely necessary in bringing, these, in bringing people to Christ. Uh, it goes back to sort of Colossians 3.17 that we talked about. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're working, Whatever you're doing, you do it unto the Lord. First, uh, First Corinthians 10, verse 31, tells us that whatever you do, whatever, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Now, can you imagine the influence? Can you imagine the impact? Can you imagine? Your testimony, if that is your attitude when you go to work, regardless of what your job is, that you're doing it unto the Lord. You see your job as a mission field. Wow, that's kind of exciting. I know I do, but that's, that's one of the... 
whether you're an employer or an employee, you do it unto the Lord, giving thanks unto Him. Verse 2 of Colossians. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. To continue in prayer literally means be devoted to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. And I got news for you folks. We need prayer today. I can't truly say like never before in history because I'm sure they've needed prayer all through history. But we're needing as much of it as at any time in the history of man. We are needing to prayer. We're needing to be in prayer. And there's a reason why the Apostle Paul tells us to pray. Because it works. And as, believer, as believers, as people who, who love God, who've trusted Him for salvation by faith, we have to believe, we must believe by faith that God answers prayer. So that when you go to your knees or when you bow your head or when you communicate with God in whatever fashion, the one and true and only Savior, when you're communicating with Him, you're talking to the one who created you, who has redeemed you, who literally holds you together. And that should cause you to be excited as you know that you're going before Him. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In verse 11 actually goes along with what we just talked about a few seconds ago. But Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Constantly being mindful of who saved you, who loves you, who leads you, who guides you, who directs you. Devoted to prayer. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. I can't begin to stress to you how important uh, your, your prayer life is, believer. As a matter of fact, I think it's essential. When God's Word tells us to walk in the Spirit, you cannot, it's impossible to do that without a prayer life. It amazes me the number of people who claim to know Christ, yet if you ask them about praying, it's pretty uh, obvious that, that they just don't. They don't take a special time of prayer. They don't pray. And I'm thinking, how? Can they get through the day? How, how can they, number one, be effective? And number two, how can they walk in the Spirit when they neglect that special prayer time? I, I, I talk to some people and they say, you know, they, they, they don't, well, and we'll talk about that in a second, about not knowing what to, to say in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says you don't. And we're going to look at that uh, too. And that's okay, because somebody does know, and he's doing it on your behalf. We're going to look at that in a second. But I was talking with someone, and they said, you know, I start praying, and I fall asleep. That ever happened to you, where you start praying, and all of a sudden you just kind of get drowsy, and, 
and you just feel so comfortable that you, you fall asleep. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands unless you just want to raise your hand. But has it ever happened to you? Yeah. And I got to thinking about that. I'm a daddy, and I'm a granddaddy. And some of the sweetest, most precious times in my life has been when my babies have crawled up into my lap and they started talking to me. And in just a few minutes into that conversation, you know what they do? They fall asleep. Now, some people don't say, yeah, because you're pretty boring. But I don't think that's what it's all about. I think they're just so comfortable being in their father's arms and talking to him. Folks, that, if you fall asleep when you're praying, that's okay. I am, I am confident, I am sure that your heavenly father just holds you. And he enjoys you being in his lap and you praying. So don't, don't let that be an excuse. As a matter of fact, that's a challenge. See how fast you can go to sleep in prayer. And how comfortable you can get in talking to the Lord. Communicating with God is absolutely necessary. Look at Romans chapter 8. You know what God's Word tells us? It tells us that we don't know how to pray. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Here's the good news. I don't know what to ask the Lord for. I don't know how to pray. I God's word, excuse me, God's word tells us, likewise the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So no, you don't know how you should pray. But it's the Holy Spirit that indwells you, that's taking your request, that's taking your petitions before the Lord and delivering them to Him. So you can't use, well, I don't really know how to pray as an excuse because it's the Holy Spirit who knows your heart he knows the request according to God's word and it's, it's, I, think it's, I think it's interesting how nearly every place where it talks about prayer it also talks about thanksgiving when we pray we do it with thanksgiving well I don't know how to pray just know this you do it with thanksgiving. You do it with faith, believing that God is hearing, He's listening, and you pray, Lord, Your will be done. But I'm going to lay these petitions, I'm going to lay these requests, I'm going to lay these supplications before You, and Your will be done. But Lord, I'm thanking You. Not only do I have that relationship with You so that I can rush to Your throne of grace and I can bring these things before You, but Father, I know that in my feeble and, and way of doing things, I'm not very effective. 
but Father, you are. The Holy Spirit is. And he's going to bring those things before you. We do it with thanksgiving. Knowing that the Holy Spirit, he is that intercessor. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a song I'd hear people sing. And it, it, even as a young boy, it, it, it had an impact on me. And then later on in my, in my Christian life, after I came to know the Lord, and, and I thought about this song an awful lot. And um, uh, it was written by Dottie Rambo. And boy, she was really popular back when I was a kid, Dottie Rambo. And the song that she sings is, I didn't come here to ask you for anything. I just came to talk with you, Lord. There's been so many prayers before that I forgot to thank you for, but I just came to talk with you, Lord. Maybe tomorrow there'll be trials and sorrows and a thousand teardrops may fall, but until I reach tomorrow's task, I have no special favors to ask. I just came to talk to you, Lord. See, that needs to be our attitude. That needs to be... That, that excitement, that thanksgiving, that you have a heavenly Father who just invites you to enter into that glorious, wonderful relationship with Him so that we can bring all of those requests. So He tells us to pray. And let me encourage you to do that. Pray, folks. Pray. Not only does He tell you to pray, but he tells you to watch. And if ever there was a time to pray, we need to be praying. And if there was ever a time to watch, we need to be watching. I am telling you, folks, our enemy is on the loose. Our enemy is working. You are hated. I'm telling you. And we had better be watching. We had better be praying because we are under attack. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. He gives us a little more direction on this praying and watching. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Now, the word quit you like men means behave like men. Behave like men. Behave like Christian men. Be brave. Be courageous. Be willing to take a stand for Christ and speak up for truth and for right. But you need to watch. Stand fast in the faith. Behave like men. Be strong. That's what God's Word calls us to do. We need to be watching. You know why? You know why we need to be watching? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 tells us why we need to be watching. Why we need to be strong. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Folks, I am convinced that that is describing the church in the last days. Not just the world, but the church also. The apostate church but the church. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16, verse 16 tells us why we are to pray and why we are to watch and it's because the days are evil. We need to be buying up the time because the days are evil. And again, let me emphasize, as we pray, as we watch, we do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, 6 tells us that we're not to be anxious for anything, but with, uh, with thanksgiving, we bring our prayers and our supplications. We let our requests be made known unto God. I can't emphasize that when you go to God in prayer, it needs to be with joy in your heart because you know He's listening. It needs to be thanksgiving in your hearts because you know He's answering. And I'm going to tell you something. Pat and I were talking about that here not too long ago. Uh, sometimes God's answer to your prayer is what? No. And I've got to tell you, I am probably more thankful for unanswered prayer than I am answered prayer. <laughs> the one prayer that he answered that I will be eternally grateful for is, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. That's the prayer that by faith I believe God answered. When I realized I was a sinner, I realized I was lost, I realized that I couldn't ever be good enough, righteous, in order to satisfy God's righteous requirements. And then the day that I was told, you don't have to be because Christ died for you. By faith I believed and accepted that. That's something to give thanks over. Amen. Back to Colossians. Praying with thanksgiving. Verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. You know, it's interesting as you go through here, off the top of my head, I cannot think of one prayer where Paul prays for anything for a personal need for himself. His prayers always consisted of praying that they'll have opportunity, that they'll have courage, like this one here. Pray, pray, if you're going to pray, pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. And I'm telling you, folks, here in 2020, in July 2020, that's what we need to be praying for as a church. Lord, provide us with an opportunity to speak your word, to share that mystery of Christ. There's a problem, and the problem is most churches don't understand that mystery of Christ. 
If you ask him, what is the mystery? And we're not going to take time because we've gone over that so many times. Hopefully all of you know that mystery, that hidden secret, that delightful, wonderful truth of what God had planned to do for fallen man because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. That which was hidden, not revealed in ages past, but that mystery of Christ. In Ephesians, and we've talked about how, how similar Ephesians and Colossians are to one another. Uh, in Ephesians, let's just go there, just so you can see what I'm saying. Here in chapter 6, it says, Praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery, the hidden secret of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. But look at Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance, there's that word again, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, the hidden secret of the gospel Colossians, he calls it the hidden secret of Christ. Here he calls it the hidden secret of the gospel. Well, folks, it's not hidden anymore. It's been revealed to the apostle to the Gentiles. It's been revealed to Paul concerning God's plan to redeem all men through Christ. That body that God was forming made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile, with Christ being the head of that, that body. And whosoever believes can be added to that body. And as they're added to that body, they're sealed into the day of redemption. And what they have to do has nothing to do with the law, has nothing to do with the relationship to Israel, has nothing to do with the covenant promises. It has everything to do with God's grace. And by faith, a person that comes and realizes they're a sinner because of God's amazing grace, because of His undying love, when a person believes they're placed into that body that was a mystery until the day of redemption, until God calls us home. In verse 20 of Ephesians 6, it says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, I read that, and I can almost make an excuse to not to open my mouth and boldly speak as I ought to speak. I mean, after all, if Paul, if Paul had to pray, and to ask the believers to pray for him that he might open his mouth and boldly speak. If he had trouble conveying that message, well, certainly God would expect me. I mean, he, he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He received that special revelation from the, from the Lord Jesus himself. Paul went into heaven and heard things that are not lawful to speak. So, Stop and think about it. Lord, if he had a difficult time, well, you know, what about me? That's no excuse. It's no excuse. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, you need to pray for me that I might open my mouth and boldly speak as I ought to speak when it comes to sharing the saving gospel to folks today. 
Verse 5 tells us, verse 4 says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Can I get you to change? And, you know, I, I never do this with a word. I don't think you ought to. But in this case, I, I, I want to encourage you as you read it, where it says that I may make it manifest. When you read it, just change it to you. That you may make it manifest as you ought to speak. What I'm encouraging you to do is to take it personally. Take that personally that you may make it manifest as you ought to. In verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. That walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Uh, it's, it's talking that are outside of the Lord. That are not part of the body of Christ. Those that are alive. Walk in wisdom. And by the way, if you don't have enough wisdom, you know what God's Word tells us to do? To pray. And what does God promise to do? Give it to you liberally. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally. So that not having the wisdom is no excuse. As a matter of fact, let me challenge you with this. Because it's happened to I, me. It's happened to anybody who's ever opened their mouth at a specific time to speak. They are amazed at what comes out of their mouth when it comes time to speak for Christ. There are scriptures that come to your mind. You go, "Woo!" Or, I just read that scripture this morning. Or, something comes to your mind. Something happens as you're talking to that person. Things that you haven't thought about. Logic that just seems to come from, Ooh, where'd that come from? That's God working through His Word. It's not God speaking to you um, like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to say here. He's already told you what to say in His Word and how to say it. What the Holy Spirit does is He brings these truths, these principles, these precepts, these scriptures to your mind. Walk in wisdom toward them that are unsaved, to them who are not redeeming the time. That means using the time wisely, buying back the time because the days are evil. You need to realize, folks, your time here is limited. Your time is limited. There's some of us here that may not be here this time next year. That's a fact. You say, well, I'm going to live to be 100. Okay. I can do better than that. That's better. Too slimy. If you live to be a hundred, that's a blink compared to eternity. Redeeming the time. We need to be using the time that we have here for the glory of God. And let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The things that you say, the way you conduct yourself, conduct yourself, it always needs to be with grace, not with harshness. 
I have a lot of problems, but this is probably one of my biggest. It's saying things when I want to get a point across and saying it with grace and tempering my approach. It's just short of putting my hands around their throat. And, and that's a fact. And that's not what God wants. It's not, you know, I've, I've got a meeting tomorrow night. And there are a lot of issues that are, uh, are going to be before the, the city council. And uh, pray for me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> pray for me. Because they're, they're really serious issues. Serious issues. And I want to be a testimony there on that city council. I want people to see Christ, not somebody coming over the counter at them. That's with ideas and thoughts. I seriously, seriously, seriously let your, peach, your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do for food? Makes it palatable. Makes it tasty. Ever been on a salt-free diet? <laughs> How many of you are on salt-free diets now? Well, Mark is. How many wishes they were on a salt-free diet? See, yeah. salt, salt makes everything taste better. Salt makes things good. And so actions in the way you talk to people, in the way you express things, it needs to be seasoned with that which is Good tasting. Besides, Matthew 5.13 says that you're the salt of the earth. Mark 9.50 talks about how good salt is. Salt is good. Salt is good. So let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. See, I think that's a promise from God that whenever we enter into certain situations and predicaments and have opportunity, if we keep these things in mind. You know, one scripture I have to remind myself of constantly when I'm dealing with folks, and maybe I'm sharing more with you than I ought to share, but I remind myself, and if I don't, Faye does. That's what a pastor's wife is supposed to do. Soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. Right? So that's what God calls us to do. That you may know how you ought to answer every man. Yes, we take a stand. We take a strong stand. But we do it in love. We do it in grace. We do it seasoned with salt. That which just makes what you're sharing palatable. To that individual. Verse 7, and all my state, my condition, my affairs, shall Tychus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. You know what I find interesting about Paul as we go through all of this? He includes all of his helpers. He, he includes those who 
He, he didn't take all the credit. He didn't take all the, here, let me pat myself on the back. That, that was not Paul's way. Paul wanted to make sure that all the churches understood that those who were with him, those who were working beside him, they were fellow servants, they were fellow laborers, that they were working together with God. He didn't take the glory. You know, the truth of the matter is, it is amazing how much a person can get done when they don't care who gets the glory, when they don't care who gets the credit. And as a matter of fact, if you're working for the Lord, you, you point toward Him. You want Him to be glorified. You want Him to be honored. That's what He does. Verse 8, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that He might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Onesimus was from Colossae. He's one of you. And they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Where do we hear about Onesimus? Philemon. Exactly. He was a slave. He was a runaway slave who came to know Christ. And what a difference the living God made in this man's life. A faithful and beloved brother. Verse 10. Narida and Aristarchus. And I wish they'd just go back to names like John and Sam and Tom, but but Artie here. My fellow prisoner. Back in Acts 19.29, he this guy was there with Paul. My fellow servant, he, he salutes you. And Mark, and Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If you come, if he come unto you, receive him. You know what's interesting about that one? Who is this Mark? Well, first of all, he wrote a book called Mark. And remember in Acts that Barnabas and the Apostle Paul were going out together and they had a row. You know what that row was over? Mark. Because Mark had left him on the journey and that really upset Paul that he just skedaddled. And so Barnabas wanted to take him on the next trip and Paul said, it's not going to happen. And so Barnabas said, well, okay, you go your way. And, and so Paul takes uh, Silas with him, and Barnabas and Mark, they go a different way. And I can't find anywhere in here it talks about Barnabas and Mark and what God did through them. But we follow Paul and Silas and what happened there. So, but here's this Mark. We've, we, we're reintroduced to this to this mark and what all was going what all was going on with him mark's back as a matter of fact I'm trying to think of the scripture uh, where is it first second Timothy I think it's second Timothy look at second Timothy and you, you could preach a sermon on this, I'm telling you. 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Ah, uh, yeah. 2 Timothy, verse 4, verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed from Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus into Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And I read that and I take from that. One second Paul is saying, nope, Mark, you're not going to come. The next second he's saying, bring Mark with you. See, that's immaturity caused him to skedaddle. And as he grew in Christ, God can still use you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the mistakes you've made, regardless of the decisions that, that you followed after. What that tells me is God will still use you in a tremendous way. No, Mark is not going to go with us. It caused a division between Paul and, and Barnabas. But in the last book that Paul writes, what does he say? And bring Mark with you. That's the work that God had done in his life over that 30-something years. See, I put that in the same category as when Peter denied Christ. You know, we read when Peter denied Christ and Boy, he was devastated. And when Christ talked to the disciples about coming to meet him after the resurrection, and he said, bring them with you and Peter. Wow. I mean, that, we can't lose the importance of that healing, the change that God can do in a person's life. But anyway, bring Mark with you. And Jesus, which is called Justice, back in verse 11, who also of the circumcision, these, are, these only are my fellow workers into the kingdom of God, which have been comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea, and them in Herapolis, and Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. At this time, Demas was with him, but later on he's going to say, he cut out too. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nympus, and the church was in, which is in his house, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, which is Ephesus or Ephesians. Verse 17, and then we're going to be done. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. No more information. This was a special, private message to Archippus. And when we get to heaven, 
And if you see a group of people lined up or crowded around somebody, it's probably a whole bunch of us over there asking, or chip us, what, what was that all about? What, what was God doing? What, what, did, did you do what God told you to do? But you talk about a personal message. And I say to Archippus, well, can I get you to print your name in underneath that? Can I get you to be serious enough about the work of God? Then I say to you, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, and that you fulfill it. Folks, every one of us have been called to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus, without exception. Every one of us have been called of God to serve Him. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Throughout Colossians, we have covered so many important doctrinal truths. Complete in Christ. The all-sufficiency of Christ. Our identification in Christ. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Such deep, dark, I mean, such deep and, and desperately important doctrinal truths that helps us in our walk with Christ Jesus. And as you study that, let me encourage you to take that next to the last verse and apply that to your own service to your own ministry. Let that be the conclusion of the book and the study of Colossians that you want to take heed of the ministry that God has called you to take on. Let's pray. Father, as we bow before you this morning, we bow before you as needy, needy servants. Father, we come before you as desperately needing ch needed children. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives as you mold and shape. But Father, we pray this morning that you will help us to be more bold. Father, you'll help us to be stronger in our stand for you. Father, may we take more seriously your calling on our lives to be the children of God, the heirs of God, the joint heirs of Christ, your ambassadors. Father, may we take this role seriously, understanding that all through eternity that there will be that recognition of the church, the body of Christ, those who have been redeemed by the precious blood. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's not part of that body, they've not been saved, they've not been made new creations, I pray, Father, that they'll understand right here and right now that there's absolutely no work, there's no deed, there's no endeavor, there's absolutely nothing they can do to make you love them or like them any, anymore. Father, may we all understand that we can't work our way into heaven but oh, what a work was accomplished on Calvary's cross. And Father, how it glorifies your name, how it exalts you when a sinner comes 
and realizes they are lost and their only hope, their only salvation is in the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ and by faith they believe. Father, may this be the day that they become that new creation trusting you to save them to the uttermost and giving you the glory, you the praise, and the thanksgiving for that changed life that only you can bring about anyway, Father. You take that which is dead and you make it alive. Oh, Father, we thank you for that salvation. Now, Father, make us soldiers of the cross. In this time of spiritual warfare, in these what could be very easily frightening times, except we acknowledge that the tomb is empty. The war has been won. May we faithfully share that with the world. They may not know it, but they're desperate to hear it. And we pray these things in the precious name, in that name that's above all other names we pray. Amen.